0: You're listening to Coffee with Innovate Finance, where we speak with experts from the industry on the changing face of financial services and the future of fintech and financial innovation. I am Rashi Pandey, Associate Director of Membership and Growth, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Irfan Khan, who is the CEO and founder at MMOB. So MMOB enables you to embed any service anywhere with its no-code technology, which integrates products like wealth, credit, Lifestyle, insurance, and utilities within channels like Challenger Banks, e commerce sites, and digital brands. So, thank you so much for joining me today, Irfan.
1: Thank you for uh, inviting me, Rashi. um thanks for the wonderful introduction as well.
0: Oh, you're most welcome. So, can you tell us a bit more about MMOB, the original idea since its inception? And how did you find MMOB?
1: Um, sure. Uh, I mean, at a very high level, you've done a wonderful introduction to it. Um, but also, I'd probably just add uh, one very simple statement, which is the easiest way to summarize MMOB is that it's like a universal adapter. And I'll come to explain what that means um, because it's really the origins of the story that tell why a universal adapter is required. Um, So in order to understand the story, you probably have to go back into my um, traditional experience where it started. So um, my experience started in financial services um, almost 20 years ago. And I used to work in, uh, so I qualified as a chartered accountant, but I used to work in um, financial services, investment banking, and also in traditional banking. And I specialized in um, finance technology transformation systems. Then I kind of moved on from there and I used to do a lot of technology transformation programs for banks and used to run these large scale technology transformation um, programs. But one of my real frustrations was the level of um, change that was applied at the consumer level. So we used to run these large-scale projects, spending tens of millions and sometimes hundreds of millions of pounds, but really having a very nominal effect at a consumer level. And I became increasingly frustrated about that, and I kind of moved off um, about eight years ago. I moved off into fintech, and I had my first fintech, which was a B2C. And in the B2C space... um, Um, I had my own frustrations in there because uh, you'd have these great innovative ideas, especially about eight to 10 years ago, there was so many different products and services being launched. But a number of the fintechs struggled to get critical mass unless they had substantial funding and they could only really get to critical mass if they had blitzscaling budgets because it was so competitive. So um, one of my frustrations around that was how do you get to critical mass and size, even though you've got these great products and ideas? So I exited from that company a few years ago Um, But around five years ago, um, around PSD2, um, really, I saw there a fantastic opportunity about how could you actually bring these two ecosystems together. So, on the one side, you've got these enterprise institutions that um, had all of this legacy technology, and it became really difficult to get innovation at a consumer level involved within these financial institutions. And on the other side, you've got these great, fantastic, innovative products and services, but struggled with um, size and scale, was what if you could actually bring them together? And what you started to see is this evolution in the fintech ecosystem where large enterprises were working with fintechs, but the struggle was they were doing it on the one-to-one partnership basis. And there really wasn't any scalability around that partnership, because but by the time that one fintech wanted to do a partnership, say, with one bank, that's all they had the capacity to do. And it became so difficult because of the legacy technology, those um, integrations and the interoperability of that would often take months and sometimes years to do. Um, And that's really where um, I wanted to come up with a way that um, innovative products and services could work seamlessly with enterprise um, architectures and enterprise institutes and how could they effectively embed their services. So I, I started working on this years ago Um, And today it's called Embedded Finance, Embedded Services, um, effectively is what we've created. Um, And in summary, it's essentially MMOBs created this interoperable API that you can connect all of the different products and service providers and have them seamlessly available into enterprise clients. Today, a record is um, we've got a bank that's launched embedded services. The record that they were able to do it in is 18 minutes. So that gives you a sense of an idea about how you can really make an enormous difference, even with regulated entities on launching third-party products and services. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a flavor about the history and why we created Mmobi.
0: Well, 18 minutes is definitely going to stay with me. That's mighty yeah. impressive. So, you know, the passion is really coming across, you know, the fact that you went into, you know, the problems and everything in your journey so tell me this, you know, after you moved from the traditional side to the fintech side of things, how has your journey been so far as the CEO and the founder of MMOB?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, so it's been enormously challenging, but I would never change it for anything, Um But equally, I would never have changed any of my experiences that I had in traditional financial services. And it was that grounding and that understanding of understanding architecture, governance, um, putting in place how you can actually design things, solution design. So all of the fundamentals that um, you needed to kind of establish yourself in your career, I got from traditional financial services. And really what FinTech gave to me was the ability to express in a more agile um, way with far greater pace. But also understanding what the consequences of something could be and and what um good and what enterprise standards look like. So striving for best in class as well. So um, I wouldn't have changed my experiences on either side, but throughout my journey in fintech, which has been a number of years now, there's been different challenges all throughout. So depending on which phase you are in your company, you've got a different set of challenges. And so the challenges I face today are very different to the challenges I faced in the very early days. Um, So I'd say the very early days, you you have an enormous amount of excitement, you go up this curve, you've got this brilliant idea, and then you start to try and get it into market. And then you start to get client feedback and you're constantly pivoting and adjusting the different metrics. But I think one of the the recurring themes, certainly within the, within the fintech space, especially when you're innovating something entirely new is um the communication of that concept and um, boiling it down to a simple statement that the average person on the street can understand. And I think there was a big challenge in the earlier days within fintech that there were lots of terms being thrown around. And unless you were really in fintech, you didn't understand or appreciate them the way you could. Whereas nowadays, so many of them have become um, more naturally understood and accepted by people that are not in fintech, not even in banking, and they can understand those concepts. So I think that's one of the key sort of takeaways for me is really trying to boil down what you're doing into as simple a way as possible so that um, anybody would truly be able to understand. And that's why I came up with that earlier statement about that universal um, adapter for APIs, um, but it took us years to get to the point that actually that's what we've created. So, you know, spending millions of pounds in R&D development and different types of communication to ultimately get to that. And when you get to that point, you're like, but that's a really simple statement, but it took a long time to get there.
0: No, that's that's wonderfully put. And I have to say, I mean, I've been in this industry for over nine years now, and I, you can definitely see how much it has evolved, especially on the consumer side, and you, like you said, you know, the understanding, the education and completely, completely feel you that it's taken years to build. Yeah. So, you know, who are your customers? I mean, I did highlight uh, a few in the beginning, but if you could just give us a flavor of who are your customers and, you know, what what makes you guys unique? What is your unique proposition?
1: Sure. So um, there's two sides to an ecosystem firstly and um, so we have customers on either side of those ecosystem because we're uniquely placed in the middle so if you think about this universal adapter that sits in the middle of a cent of this ecosystem it's connecting these both sides so on the one side of an ecosystem you have these products and service providers and these products and service providers are quite often fintechs um new innovative ideas but you also we've also got some of the traditional brands and services. So we've got um, broadband providers, you've got energy companies, we've got wealth companies, credit companies, insurance companies, Mm -hmm. some of the traditional ones that are out there as well as some of the newer innovative ones. So in total, I think we've got um, something in excess of 180 different types of brands and services. And every month that passes more and more of these brands and services get connected into um, the ecosystem. So that's one side of the ecosystem. And on the other side of the ecosystem, we've got distribution partners. Now, distribution partners are the ones that are providing the critical mass. So the audience of the end users, they're the ones that are going to be able to share their user base with these different third party products and services. And the types of clients that we've got there um, range from banking clients to digital banks, um, we've also had expressions from telcos, very interesting. And um, you also have like PFM tools, you have um, lifestyle applications, um, and the to the lower end, you, you also have like um, brands and say advertising digital agencies that would like to offer third-party products and services. So those are the sorts of different types of clients you'd get on the um, distribution side of the ecosystem. And effectively, we work with both of them. So essentially, we, we solve a problem statement for either side. So the problem statement for the distribution partners is that they're trying to offer third party products and services for a number of different reasons. Now, that could be that they want to generate alternative lines of revenue. But actually, in most cases, it's to do with creating retention, stickiness with new customers um, and to increase the dwell time. Of their applications that they have, so normally they have a core product and proposition. So, for instance, a bank, their core product proposition may be their savings products and their current accounts, but they want to offer complementary services with insurance and some other utility-based payments, so you can pay your utility services direct through a few clicks, etc. So, creating retention and stickiness is really important. And on the other side of the um, equation, you've got the products and service providers. And really what they're looking for is they're looking for an audience. And that's what they're getting from their partnerships with and um, the distribution partners.
0: Yes, you, like the distribution bit really resonated with me because I think a lot of our um, fintechs look for such partners, right, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the space you guys are playing in, I cannot not touch on embedded finance. Uh, it's one of the biggest trending topics right now. So can you tell us more where embedded finance is now, according to you and the problems it's solving and, you know, where will it go next? How will it evolve?
1: Yeah, I think to understand where it's going, you kind of also need to appreciate where it's come from and what were we calling it before. So embedded finance was largely hijacked by payments. Um, And on reflection, I think quite rightly, at the time, especially a year ago, um, you know, I was a big advocate and, and making um, issue with the fact that embedded finance was being referred to as this embedded payments piece, but really embedded payments was one of the core use cases. And that's all it is really embedded um, payments is a use case within embedded finance. But actually where we're going with the embedded space is beyond finance. So it's actually embedded services. And that's how we look at it, because embedded finance kind of limits you to the financial based products and services. However, if you look at where and what consumers are looking for, they're looking at understanding accessing multiple different data points to come in and access multiple different services. And so that's embedded services, which means you're going beyond um, credit, insurance and wealth-based products, and you're going into utilities, you may be going into purchasing tickets and services. So really the evolution's evolving enormously. And the critical point of embedded essentially means just the onward journey. So you start at a Um, an original point. Your origin point is effectively, in our case, mainly distribution partners. The point at which you're then accessing a third party service is known as an onward journey. And those onward journeys could be anything. Those onward journeys could be you could go on and you could switch your broadband provider, you could pay your utility bills, you could subsequently go on and purchase tickets and services and Could be a multitude of like paying charities, for instance, is one of the bigger products that we've got as well. So um, it could be anything outside of just finance. And really, that's the opportunity. It's providing a service at the point of need. And that's my definition as well for um, embedded um, services. It's having a third party service natively accessed, and it can be accessed at the point of need. And I think that's naturally where we're going um, further and further in the ecosystem. More and more of these use cases are being developed. And um, we're starting to see this evolve um, quite naturally in multiple different uh, digital banking solutions. You know, Revolut have done a really good job about it, where they've started to extend their product offerings and start to integrate other types of services directly. And. Um, you know, And some of the other um, banks like Monzo and Starling, they've had a, um, a good crack at this as well with their marketplace and started to add different services. However, where most of them have stopped is largely at um, affiliate-based links. And I think this is where things evolve over time. The embedded service proposition is really being able to go through the entire taxonomy all the way through to execution. The challenge is that third-party services – aren't necessarily entirely API designed that they can go all the way through to execution. So some of them only have part of the journey. And that's where there's probably a frustration in the industry where we haven't seen the progress that we would like to see. You'll have um, some providers out there, like iWalker have a fantastic set of APIs in terms of extending their service proposition and having them natively integrated as an embedded function but then you'll have other types of services out there. I'm not going to name any names that don't necessarily have um, best in class or standards of um, APIs where you can connect those services. So really we've kind of, we're probably still at the very early stages, but naturally over the next five um, years, what we're going to see is more and more third-party services are going to develop their APIs. So their service can be natively integrated um, directly into other partners.
0: And, you know, over the past 18 months, we have, of course, shifted from just talking about these use cases to seeing real beneficial use cases. So what are some examples of these? I know you touched upon a few, but if you could elaborate, that would be great.
1: Sure. Um, so depending on, I think you also have to depend on where you are in which regulated market. Right. So embedded services in the UK is different to embedded services, for instance, the services that we launched in Malaysia or other parts of the world. So there's different types of regulations and different types of restrictions that you also have to be cognizant of. Um, certainly in the UK and in the West, um, there's a lot of service embedded-based services around credit and insurance. So you'll start to see, for instance, within the credit space, there's a lot of embedded credit decisioning where you'll get pre-approved decisioning based on um, whether you can get a credit card, whether you can get a business loan, a personal loan, et cetera. Many of those are natively being integrated directly into applications, along with the access of data passporting. So a user can consent, passport some of their data and information directly into a credit application so they don't have to mm-hmm. fill in all of the different data fields. And within seconds, they're able to get an immediate response about whether or not they're actually eligible for a particular loan. And then they can complete part of the journey. So, those are real examples of what's happening at the moment, insurance as well. So, in insurance, I'm sure everybody's used to using Go Compare and many of these other um, comparison sites. We're actually where we're going at the moment now with the insurance based products and these types of services then natively you can access them so you can access a portfolio of services directly by passporting your data and you can get a quotation but what we're going to see evolve even more so in the future is where you had for instance pfm tools that were just giving you access to information about how your spending was performing you're actually going to have the call to action directly next to the transaction so in the future you'll be able to just click on, for instance, where you've got a direct debit for your car insurance or your home insurance, you can click on it, passport your data in and get a quote for an alternative service provider, just like you can for utilities. So that's naturally where we're going. And we're very close in many of those use cases at the moment. The challenge is, is that whilst most of the logical thinking and planning around the regulation and the data is there, the technology now needs to catch up so it was always the other way around um for years in the fintech space where you know we were blitzing it the trouble is is we blitz so much now we need to keep up and maintain all of that um but there's going to be this catch up period over the next sort of 2 to 3 years where many of these service providers kind of get their apis up to speed where more and more of these use cases can start to be accessed um and then in unregulated markets you can actually have far more sophisticated journeys because they don't have as many Regulations from FISMA and Cobalt in terms of stopping the way you can do certain um, insurance-based journeys or credit-based journeys and and passporting certain data. So um, you'll start to see evolution in um, making payments directly through to your best charities, switching your insurance services, getting a decision and loan there and then. Um, So there's many of these journeys that are now starting to roll out and exist. And what we'll start to see is consumer expectation will demand it, that that's the norm, that if they're using an application that they trust, so whether that's their lifestyle application or their banking application, that they would like to be able to do the end-to-end journey of the service that they would like to access um, directly in that application. And that's ultimately the, the, the end state of the embedded services space.
0: And Irfan, moving on to partnership side of things. So, you know, embedded finance is all about making it easier for companies to partner, right? So what about, you know, you guys, how does MMOB itself approaches partnerships? And as a leader within the fintech space, any advice do you have for your fellow uh, colleagues to making partnerships work?
1: Um, Yeah, so in terms of how we work in the ecosystem is based on my experiences to date. when you are getting into a partnership that involves an ecosystem you need to make it as frictionless as possible and that's the core challenge with this because the moment um, we as this universal api become a blocker the partnership then has this friction And it can't coexist and operate efficiently and effectively. So we have to operate as though we're not even there, which means we have to have um, a technology agreement in between the two. So we don't get involved um, in terms of the commercial design and legal and regulatory side of things. So we've designed the model where we kind of navigate around all of that which then allows our partners to work directly together with each other. And that's the other thing. I think it's really important that when you have a product and a service provider and a distribution partner, that they have a relationship together. And what I saw um, for a number of years in the ecosystem was this protectionist attitude, which I didn't want to share who my um, distribution partner is, and I don't want to share who my product and service provider was. And that's what created the friction. So I thought it was really important from the outset that those partners needed to, to know who they were and work together with each other in order to produce the best outcomes. So that's how um, we tackle it currently in the ecosystem. In terms of my personal advice, um, I'd probably say this, so there's two questions that I normally ask, not going into a partnership and a discussion about um, how the partners are going to work together which is I make it very clear to the partner what it is that I need from them. And I'm very explicitly clear about what trying to understand what it is that they need from me. Right. And if those two different objectives are too far wide apart, then it's unlikely that that partnership will exist and yield good, positive results or be efficient. If, however, those objectives are more closely aligned or we can align them, then that's actually what brings the partnership and makes a solid foundation. So just being really frank up front about what it is that you can offer and what it is that they need from you right from the outset really kind of cuts out all of the noise and allows us to get down to the actual um, objective of what we're going to be delivering to each other.
0: Yes, transparency is key here. So yeah. ESG and, you know, FinTech for good, um, it's, it's a key priority for us at Innovate Finance as well. So what ESG initiatives can Embedded Finance help with at the moment? And what are your personal favorite examples of this?
1: Um, I think there's been a number of opportunities to extend the ESG um, space with more real outcomes and contributions through onward journeys. So one of the things that embedded services provides is it gives more of a platform to um, service providers that are directly providing end user cases in the ESG space and making them available directly into larger distribution partners. So um, there's uh, also multiple different services that are being launched as uh, embedded services that are solving cost of living. So we've seen um, solutions where comparisons and um, solutions are being deployed into embedded functions, um, contributions via charities, um, showing where users are potentially paying too much for certain services and products. So there's a there's a multitude of use cases that solve specific um, challenges for end users, um, especially in this space around cost of living. Um, so I think what we will see over the next six months. Um, is more and more of these use cases where at the point of need, again, coming back to the definition of the embedded services space, is how can you solve that need? So it may be that someone needs um, some short-term credit. Um, There's examples of um, embedded services that we've developed where people can access their payroll early. Even if they don't have that as a core function in their bank, they can have that as a core function potentially with their payroll provider. So there's a number of solutions that are now coming out that are solving specific um, problem cases.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much, Rufan, you know, for speaking with us today and for taking the time out. Loved speaking with you about, you know, embedded finance and everything. But before I let you go, finally, our last but not the least, what's next for you guys? And are there, you know, any more exciting news that you would like to share with us?
1: Um. I think, uh, well, there will be some very exciting news coming out um, in the early part of next year. Um, But I suppose um, one thing I'd probably leave you with is kind of where embedded services is going. And I'd say we're at the point now where it's all about standardization and standards, because we've had um, a really exciting phase of people exploring different ideas about what is embedded finance. And we've kind of moved on beyond embedded payments, we've started to see more use cases in insurance and credit. And now we've gone beyond that. And now we're in the embedded services space where there's a multitude of actions. What we are going to start to see over the next 12 to 18 months is far more standardization, which creates it um uniquely interoperable for lots of different service providers to now have their services integrated into large distribution and um, partners so i think that's really where i see the future um at the moment and i'd like to think that mmob is going to play a big role in that um in the future
0: i have to say i love your zenness how calmly you were like yes there is some exciting news for next year now i can't wait to know what that is <laughs> But thank you so much for joining us today, Irfan. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for having me.
0: You're most welcome. More power to you and to your team at MMOB. And to our listeners, thank you once again for tuning into Coffee with Innovate Finance. Do look out for upcoming episodes and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn for more on our events and programs and to keep up with MMOB's updates as well. As always, until next time, take very good care of yourselves.